Welcome to Foster Strong, a podcast where America's alumni of foster care share captivating and compelling stories of what it was like growing up in the foster care system. Each episode, we explore how our time in foster care shaped us into the resilient individuals we are today. Hello, everyone. This is Carrie. (laughs) What's up, everybody? This is Adrian. Hi, everyone. This is Raya. On today's episode, we're doing another spotlight with one of our team members, Carlo. Carlo is a graduate of North Carolina Central University with his bachelor's degree in Spanish. And after graduating, became an AmeriCorps member in conjunction with Reading Partners. He's well-versed in many areas, including technology and teaching, and has created a platform that will allow him to work well in various arenas as an advent of change. He has tons of experience working in the foster care system with different advocacy groups, policy, and other realms, and we are very fortunate to have him on our team and here tonight. What's up, Carlo? What's going on? Sorry if you all hear the Southern Twain. For the, do not apologize for the southern twang. We love it. We welcome it. Can I go off script for a bit and just ask Carlo why he chose to get a uh, bachelor's in Spanish? That was very interesting when I read that. <laughs> like, is there a particular story behind that? Uh, <laughs> well, a very small story. Um, for me, during the time, uh, I was actually a computer science major. Uh, I love engineering. I wanted to be either a computer or a mechanical engineer, um, but then certain things changed, and um, I realized I actually liked people, even though I was an introvert. And so one of the ways that I, I figured that I could better connect with people is to understand a different language, uh, which also means getting more immer- immersed into a different culture. Uh, and so unfortunately, I'm not fluent in Spanish, <laughs> but I feel like I know more of the the uh, Latin culture, especially Central and South America, uh, even more than the language. But that's helped me to connect with people all the more. Awesome. All right. That's so fascinating. That yeah. is such a like hidden gem about Carlo. I did not know until yeah. this moment. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Now it's like that's the first thing I'm going to ask him. Go completely off script. Like, like, why do you have? Like, I was trying to break it down by geography and everything. Like, all right, he's from North Carolina. Is there a really huge Hispanic population down there that would <laughs> force him to get that degree and everything? <laughs> like, I was like trying to break it down. And um, I love this quote that you have as your motto, Carlo. That you want to see. Or you want to help people see the jewel inside of themselves? Yes, I for me that um, quote actually started when um, I started to do my advocacy work, and the reason why is I've learned that so many people have a great potential um, to do just about whatever they want, especially when their passions um, arise. And so for me, I've learned that. Uh, when you are able to help someone to understand what their passion is, uh, literally the sky is the limit. Um, And sometimes uh, you have to get past uh, the trauma, you have to get past the pain and different things. Uh, But the the treasure or the gem that comes out of it, uh, literally, it's, it's nothing like it. 
So, so we're going to dive into your story, but I think that a good segue to dive into it might be to ask you who helped you discover the jewel inside of yourself. Yes. So for me, um, the person who literally knew from birth, apparently, (laughs) it was actually my grandmother. Uh, She was, uh, when I tell you my biggest cheerleader, uh, she was the woman who has stayed by my side from the time that I was born, even to the time that she passed away my freshman year uh, in college in 2011. Uh, And when I tell you that there was never a time where I didn't feel love, even though I told her one time, I was like, I feel like you don't love me because you won't do this. And she said, you know what? I'm not listening to that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which, you know, that, that's, that's how she is because no matter what, she always gave what she could um, for me. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. And you've said before (laughs) that your grandma was your biggest prayer warrior. And so let's just give a shout out to all the grandmamas out there who are prayer warriors for your children and your grandchildren and and your great grandchildren. Um, We need more of you out there. She added the grandmamas like at the end of that. Grandmama. (laughs) Call your grandma. You know, everyone has different names for their grandmas. I call my G-ma. G-ma. Well, I I guess I always call my grandma's grandma, but my nieces and nephew now call my parents Mima and Peepaw. So that one's fun. There's so many different names. I love my my nephews uh, call one of, or my cousins call one of my aunts Gypsy. (laughs) <laughs> that's what they call her instead of grandma that's a hip grandma I've yeah never heard of one. is there a story behind the gypsy or no <laughs> because that's big. <laughs> i think she just didn't want to be perceived as old right like grandma for some young grandmothers sounds a little gypsy a little too old hmm. so gypsy is super young and hip yeah all right i kind of like it i might embrace it <laughs> No all right well should we dive into more of carlo's story we should all right (laughs) so for um for those of who who have not had the pleasure carlo of hearing your story uh, we were fortunate to hear a little bit of it on one of our uh, weekly calls a few weeks ago um, and it was very powerful but for the listeners out there who are listening to foster strong could you kind of tell your story a little bit uh kind of your background um so they can get a glimpse of who you are as a person Okay, so uh, for me, I live, born and raised in Winston-Salem, and I was actually living um, with my mother for a long period of time, Um, and because of uh, all of the uh, transitions that happened, basically I moved, I had to be moved from my mother's house to my grandmother's place, Um, and there was a lot of, I've learned even now that when it comes to the absence of love, uh, many times it forces you to do certain things that, and it kind of jeopardizes the people around you, but it's because you're trying to fill a void. Uh, And for, I've realized even within my family, that's something that was constantly happening. Um, And so because of trying to fill a void and uh, wanting people in, uh, in your life, Uh, that actually caused my mother to uh, basically go into a situation uh, to where that she had to um, basically release the rights for not only myself, but also for my brother. And um, when that happened, 
I actually uh, moved down to my grandmother's place. And uh, from then on, it's basically been an a, a uphill battle um, mentally, and mentally, uh, spiritually, uh, and even emotionally for me just um, trying to come to grips with how I felt about that time and actually expressing it uh, and actually having the decision of am I going to find my identity uh, within the streets or am I going to find my identity with trying to help others uh, to grow past the situation that they were in. And uh, for me, it was because of the fact that uh, I had a praying grandmother. It was because of the fact that she did not give up on me. And she used to sing um, sing her gospel songs at night. And I'm trying to figure out why in the world she's singing this late at night. <laughs> um, but her believing uh, in who I was and what she believed uh, that God called me to be, uh, which was an advent of change of to be someone who can lead other people to uh, the light of themselves. Um, so uh, that's a little bit about me, uh, just as far as uh, that section of my life. Mm, and I love that because we were kind of joking around before we started the call, talking about how much volunteer <laughs> experience you had and how you were uh, what I like to call a servant leader, like Jesus, Lord, our savior, <laughs> preach. <laughs> and then you hit us with the words from your praying grandma, preach again. <laughs> um, yes, he's actually the reason, uh, the biggest uh, example that I have of what it means to be a servant leader. Um, also what it means uh, when you uh, do believe in uh in god and what that really means as far as not taking advantage of people um and making sure that you are uh, being a servant leader uh to the t and to the core and for her that's all she did as a matter of fact when she passed away um i didn't know how humble she was but there were so many certificates and different things that she had that i did not know about until we started going through her stuff that I realized that she has done so much in her life, but she did not dic have that dictate um, who she was as a person, that she always stayed uh, the same humble fireball lady <laughs> that she has always been. Um, and for me, I feel like that's, that's kind of where I get it. Um, so there's a lot of things that I've noticed that I don't tell a lot of people that I do, um, but I, I learned that it, it's kind of, uh, it comes in the vein, so. <laughs> yeah. Carla, when did you uh, begin to see or recognize that manifestation that your grandmother had had always kind of poured into you, either whether she poured it into you privately with her prayers or poured it into you by speaking to you? Like, when did you start actually feeling that manifestation uh, and feeling like that, you know what, I'm going to be out, go out here and serve others. I'm going to go out here and live the life that she has been projecting on me um, since I was a kid. For me, it was um, my freshman year of college, actually. Uh, once I stepped on the campus, um, had tried to have a little fun, but even with the fun, I always felt the need that I wanted to uh, do something different. I wanted to help people. And it was interesting that once I left her presence, as far as like I wasn't always in her house, I was able to realize who I was. And um, as I tell a lot of people, uh, for my 18th birthday, um, usually, especially when you once you turn 18, you want to get out, you want to party, especially on a yep. college campus. I basically just went back home and spent 
a day with my grandmother. Like for me, that was my present because at that time I realized how much she did pour into me. And that for me, even though it wasn't, um, it wasn't significant in other people's eyes, like that was huge for me of saying like, thank you. I literally was able to reach the age of 18 because of your prayers, because of what you've done for me. Um, and the sacrifices that you've made. So um, we went to IHOP together. Uh, we actually um, got groceries. Like it, it was like, you know, a, a fun, you know, occasional, regular moment. Um, and it got to the point to where I didn't notice, but both of us were praying at the same time. <laughs> so instead of me like complaining, we actually was praying at the same time. I talked to her um, and there was actually a time where she was like, you know, her feet kind of hurt. So I actually kind of uh, rubbed her feet during the time. Like for me, that was my my way of servanthood of saying, uh, again, just thank you for everything that you have uh, done for me. Um, and uh, lastly, uh, bef right before I came back to to the college campus, uh, she was um, basically feeling very weak and we were uh, over at another place. And when I saw that, I was like, well, Grandma, don't drive. I'll drive for you. And she said, are you sure? Are you sure you're willing uh, to take the seat, to take the driver's seat? And I said, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people actually told me that what I did not know is that was my grandmother's uh, question of, making sure that I was okay before she left um, because she she saw the man uh, that she's been wanting to see uh, from the beginning and she saw me flourishing into that and so that was kind of like her her release but not just her release of I'm leaving but the release of um, I have imparted to you uh, what I've been wanting to see uh, this entire time so man that I'm emotional, but in all the um, warm, fuzzy ways, right? Like, it's just, that's just such a heartwarming story that you shared. And the more that you talk about your grandma, because this is all new. We hadn't heard this when you shared your story. But the more that you talk about her, the more I see the traits you describe that she had in you, right? Like, you are one of the most humble people. I remember when we were figuring out positions for Foster Strong, and you said, I don't need one. I'll just, I just want to do the work and support the mission. <laughs> and it's just a perfect example of the humbleness that you have. And, um, you know, praise, praise the Lord for your grandma and the impact that she had on your life. And it's so telling to everyone, I think, about the impact one adult one caring, consistent adult can have in a child's life for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yes. I think one of the things that I continue to hear from your story uh, and some of the things that we've heard from other um, previous Spotlight episodes is, um, which has been a consistent theme that hasn't been done on purpose, it's just been done by the organic and osmosis nature of the group that we have together, is that there has been at least one person in our lives, despite how traumatic um, it has been, that has shown us unconditional love. So despite some of the challenges of growing up in foster care or despite some of the challenges of being taken away from our biological families, there has still been someone and oftentimes a biological relative who we hang on to or who has imparted enough into us so that when we went through those trials and tribulations, in this case of going through the system, um, that they have shown us true unconditional love. Um, and so I think that's very powerful and, and is a huge testament to kind of the calling that um, that is placed on our lives and in particular yours as well. 
I'd be curious to know, as Adrian brought up a really good point about biological families and the really important connection that we have to our biological families. Um, I think a, a pattern in foster care is that the reason kids get removed, racism is of course one, but also the generational trauma. And what happens when people do not heal and take care of their trauma and how I I love this. um, I use this bookshelf analogy that it's like if I experience a lot of trauma and I never deal with it and I box it up and I put it on the top shelf, then when I have kids Mm -hmm. and when they have kids, eventually that top shelf will get weaker and weaker and over time tumble down to the following shelves just like trauma tumbles down to the following generations and that's generational trauma. And it's seen so much in foster care. When you hear people tell their testimonies and look at their origin stories, there was often something that happened to their parents that was painful, that led their parents to, to suffer in, in a lot of the trauma the, that still existed there. So I know that you're passionate about healing from trauma and, and really looking at that piece can you talk a little bit about that yes so for me when it came to um, healing I actually had to look um, more into not just myself but um, also my parents Uh, and I actually learned that when it comes to my mother and my father that both of them have dealt with a lot of trauma themselves just a, a small little background. Uh, both of my parents lived uh, here in uh, good old Winston-Salem, uh, kind of a small town, uh, and uh, both of them have, have dealt with a lot. Uh, for my dad, I know that uh, he was he's actually a veteran of the Marine Corps, um, and so you, you can kind of just guess that uh, because of the fact that he was able to go that route that he's seen a lot um, and even to the point where he's actually lost his mother um, during a certain time and he's felt betrayed by many people, which, um, which actually can uh, really change anyone <laughs> uh, when you are uh, dealing with uh, life in general, from losing the same woman that has been consistent in your life to uh, the people that you trusted um, they just kind of backstab you and uh, kind of take the sides of others and kind of disregard you. That could affect anyone uh, tremendously. And I know uh, for my mother, um, she, uh, from what my grandma was telling me, that she was actually a very huge prayer warrior, um, that she uh, was an avid, uh, not just going to church, but she uh, was basically the spotlight. Um <laughs> And there was actually a situation um, to where someone told her that you, you're lying, you're faking, and you need to stop. Uh, and so it, and it wasn't just that, but just a lot of people that came into her life and um, all of the giving that she was doing, they took advantage. Uh, and the more someone takes advantage of your giving and giving all of you just to receive nothing back can uh, dwindle anyone. And so um, I've learned that I do have a giving heart, but even with them, I had to learn that there are times where I have to step back. Um, yes, they like I can be resilient, but there are times where I need to remind myself that I am I am weak. Um, and what that actually did was that changed my perspective of they left me to they are human. 
they have they have went through they have gone through so many things um from the financial aspect to the emotional aspect the mental the spiritual they've went through so much and for me i actually realized that for me to overcome my emotional trauma that i had to take a a, a moment in their shoes and when I was able to do that, I actually started to connect back uh, with both of them. And now I actually have a, a pretty good relationship with them. But it wasn't just a, a on the fly. Like, it took years. <laughs> it took years of actually becoming vulnerable. Like, I, I literally had to open my heart. And, um, and I wouldn't suggest this for every person, especially if it was an abusive relationship. But I will say that if, if the other person or party is willing then if you can look into yourself and say you know what I want to make a change for myself because I see that this other person also wants to make that change so for me I would say that would be the difference um, and that's how I was able to uh, grow as far as with my tra uh, out of my trauma because I emotionally understood who I was I emotionally understood what they went through and so now I can emotionally assist others um, because of the fact that I've went through that myself. Carlo I just want to say I think I speak for myself and many others here in that you are so emotionally in tune with yourself that I am envious of the point that you are at because it takes so much to reach that and so Congrats to you for being able to be there to recognize when you need to pull yourself away and to be available when you can be. I mean, it's incredible. And I think I just I relate so much to your story. Um, I was very close with my grandmother who also passed while I was in college. Um, and hearing you talk now about where you're at emotionally um, and your experience with her, I, I it brings me to another relationship that held um held me together and followed me through my whole life and that was with my sister um my sister was there through the whole thing you know we were taken away from our parents together we were adopted together um we kind of stood hand in hand through that journey but even now um and this is speaking to your emotional aspect I think we view that process and that journey in very different ways and so um for a while it was hard for me to understand why she doesn't feel how I feel when I feel it um, why we didn't mourn or grieve the same way, um, and, and all those kinds of things, even though she stood by me, um, and at this point, we're able to both reflect differently on that, but I'd just be interested to hear some more about, um, you know, those relationships in your life, and maybe even post, um, your grandmother's passing. Yes, so, uh, for me, I will say that relationships were, uh, a huge thing that I started to cultivate, um, even um, as far as with my younger brother, um, for him, it was actually a little different. His dad decided to come and get him from Georgia and uh, took him down. So uh, it, it was basically me and my grandmother uh, at the same time with my little brother. He he was distraught like that. Uh, even though he was with his dad, that was another sense of trauma because he all his life he was living with me. Uh, and my mom and now he's having to go to a completely different place in Georgia which I found out that was very racist um, he's experienced certain situations to where his his uh, dad his friend had a dad who as he was walking to school tried to run him over with his truck um, that's how much he did yeah it was it was it was a lot 
Um, and so he's having to deal with that. And for me, I'm understanding that, you know, I need to continue to at least try to keep that relationship going with him, even though he's going through. Uh, so just uh, trying to stay being that big brother. Uh, it was very difficult, um, especially because of how far away it was. Um, he did decide to stay here for in North Carolina for a little bit, and I was happy because, you know, he was here. He did move back, but it was just the fact that I was able to impart into him and still have that relationship with my little brother. Um, and then fast forwarding uh, from, to college, um, just about every person that I've learned that I talked to always wanted to stay in relationship with me. And that's because I, they always were saying, like, there's always a piece about you or you're always um, being able to listen. <laughs> I realized being able to listen. And it's funny that a lot of people didn't know, like, what I went through, uh, which was so interesting. A lot of people didn't know what I went through, but they were always saying, like, it feels like you got everything together. And I'm like, if you only knew, <laughs> um, if you only knew. Um, and I was actually able to help so many people, but I feel like the relationship uh, difference happened, especially when I started to advocate for youth and care. Uh, when I got a part of Say So, a strong able youth speaking out here in North Carolina, when I uh, became a young fellow for the Annie E. Casey Foundation in Baltimore. And uh, even when, you know, I decided to be on board with Foster Strong, I learned that my voice was not just uh, to be heard, but it was almost like an arm reaching out to every person who has experienced trauma. Uh, and to be honest with you all, like I kind of felt like an outcast because I was adopted. So a lot of people say how long they've been in foster care. And I'm like, well, technically I was adopted by my grandma. They wanted to put me in foster care, but they didn't because of the advocacy that my grandmother did for me. Um, but at the same time, I learned that all that means is that I can reach another, um, I can reach another amount of people uh, because even though I may not have the same struggle uh, as far as the intensity, that I still had that struggle. I still understand what it means to be ripped apart. Uh, and so now uh, I can, I can do that and be in relation with uh, any person that has experienced either the same trauma more or less, uh, but I, I, I love it. And, and I think that's the beauty of this group, right? That no one's story is the same. And I, I can relate to that feeling of, I was adopted. Sometimes I feel that way because I didn't technically age out of the system. I was unfortunately adopted into an abusive home and did my ended up going my own way um, when I was a teenager. But I know what you mean, where we, you get these feelings almost of imposter syndrome as it relates to your trauma. Like, oh, no, my trauma's really not that bad. It's not that heavy. People have it worse. Exactly. I, I have nothing to complain about, which is so funny because then you talk to other people who maybe have not experienced being removed from their family. And you hear comments like, I would have never guessed that was your background mm -hmm. and your history. And I would have never known that you are carrying all of this. And I always struggle with that. I struggle with, is it a compliment? What do they mean by that? What do you mean I look so normal? <laughs> Should I be, you know, like, what do you do with that? I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Uh, absolutely. I, I think a lot of folks, especially when I was in high school and and more importantly, when I started getting involved in student politics, a lot of people assumed that I grew up in the suburbs and I came from a two parent household. Um, and the way I was 
teased and also not teased in a bad way, but just teased like you sound white. Uh, you talk too proper, you know, all that stuff. And lo and behold, I'm this little urban kid living over there in the ghetto with a single foster family, blah, 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 so on and so forth. So I completely relate to that. Uh, Carlo, let me ask you this question, because um, just listening um, to how you are able to empathize and put yourself in other shoes for our listeners out there listening to the podcast and listening to Foster Strong. Uh, what advice would you give them? Um in terms of how to better connect with themselves and recognize their strengths and also when they need to step away as you have done. Maybe there's not the exact blueprint that you do, but in terms of them at least starting to get on that journey to understand it, because a lot of foster youth, um, I think I can say this with, with absolute certainty, carry a lot of that burden on into their adulthood and they try to go back to either A, save their families, try to right all the wrongs and do too much, become even more overburdened than they were in the system because they are trying to do so much because of what they went through and trying to prevent it from happening again. So what advice would you give them to try to kind of stand the tie a little bit and recognize that self-care is the best care in order to get to some of the stuff that we went through? Well, I guess we Period. shut it down. Uh, you already said it. Self care is the best care, but uh, <laughs> I definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, I definitely will say uh, period. Uh, that one is acknowledging it. Um, I've learned that with much of my life, I actually tried to run away from it, um, and I'm not going to say not act like it happened, but try to put the emotional side away. Uh, I've learned that when you are going through uh, your trauma, that I can't just say, okay, this happened. I ha uh, That there's a feeling that happens um, within me to say like, yeah, this happened and it hurts. It's it, I, I don't like it. Um, and that is actually the first thing, uh, because if you think about uh, a person, you're a sponge. So it, your entire life, you have been uh, absorbing every single thing that has happened to you. Uh, and so if you actually want to start experiencing a different uh, side of life, you actually have to uh, squeeze uh, the trauma out in a sense. So uh, when, you, as far as different ways that you release, whether that's crying, whether that's writing, whether that's acknowledging, uh, that's the first thing that I, I believe that anyone has to do is to basically squeeze that out in a sense. Uh, and once you do that, um, the second thing is, uh, and I... I would definitely say this because for me, I was a pest, uh, pessimist for so, so long um, to recognize the people that are in your life that are not causing you harm. I've learned that if you are able to recognize that, then you are able to start to understand the value of the relationships that you have. Um, number one. Number two is realize that you you can make a difference. Um, Many times when we think of a, a difference, we think about, uh, you know, very important people like a president, a governor, a mayor. Uh, but I've learned that literally all I have to do is help one person today. And I could have actually saved so many people's lives. There was one person um, that I was talking to uh, and, you know, not knowing that this person was contemplating suicide. Um, but it was just because of a conversation that we had um, and they were able to start to see the difference even of, okay, I can still keep living. Like th this type of stuff, it, we take for granted, but I promise you every person, uh, there is a quote out there that people are saying, if one person loved another, uh, that no one would be left out. 
if one person loved another person, if that person loved another person, if everyone loved someone on this earth that no one would feel left out. And that's the one thing about when you're going through your trauma or trying to deal with it is that you feel alone. Um, and sometimes you just have to understand that you, you are not alone. And if you are, um, the best thing to do is to see if you can either get counseling, either therapy, or if you have a, a friend that you truly trust. Um, those are certain things I would definitely um, uh, say to uh, do in, as far as like one, the second thing is not doing it alone. And then the third thing is affirmations. <laughs> affirmations are one of the cheesiest things. I'm not gonna lie, I'm not really the best at it, but I learned that when I start to, started to say like, you know, um, I am worth it. I am capable. Um, even though I did go through these things that I'm gonna make it. Those those affirmations, I, I promise you, is it's almost well, how I look at it is you're speaking life even though you're walking through the death. You're speaking life even though your mindset is telling you that you're never gonna amount to anything, that you won't make it out in this life. And you are basically setting yourself uh, a trail. Um, as they always say, a trailblazer. You, you're setting yourself up. <laughs> um, so definitely uh, with those three things, one, acknowledging uh, what you've gone through, releasing yourself through that, um, making sure that you look at the support that you have around you, um, and then finally, uh, believe and start speaking life to yourself. Um, and uh, the only reason why those are the main things is because those are things that you can do. <laughs> when it comes to other people, I'm sorry to tell you, but you can't control other people. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry about That's that. You can't control other people. <laughs> yeah. There were so many nuggets in there. Uh, one, uh, the last part about uh, affirmations, uh, I used to always say, just fake it till you make it, because, you know, sometimes that's that's a way. But you said something that I think that I want all of our listeners to take note of, and that is recognizing the value in relationships. And I say that as because oftentimes foster youth may self-sabotage or sabotage relationships out of the need for survival. And oftentimes um, those relationships can help you get through the trying times, but also be on the other side when you do make it. Um, and so that that's a whole nother episode that we can get into later, but recognizing the value in relationships, I think is one of the key points that I heard you say, uh, along with other, all the other nuggets that you mentioned. Yeah, and I think on that point, thinking about those affirmations that you said, affirmations are the antithesis to trauma because trauma rewires our brains. And just as Adrian was saying with relationships, what serves us to protect ourselves in our childhood in some of those chaotic settings no longer serves us as adults. And so I think in addition to some of the affirmations you were saying, Carlo, like I am worth it, that there are also some really helpful affirmations to help you rewire the ways that you build relationships yes. with others. One for me is that I can trust. I can trust. And, um, you know, some of those affirmations that are more outward facing as it relates to other people, I think have been helpful for me um, in building some of those protective, breaking some of those protective walls down. Yeah, I think, um, you know, thinking about I can trust, I guess I think about just 
you know, the idea that I can work on this or I can, I can put the effort in. I think um, many of us who were either removed from our homes um, or had no choice but to leave said, you know, look at this relationship. It's not working for me. I'm going to leave. And that's what we knew and that's what we were taught. Um, and so I think that is something that stands out to me that I just have to remind myself that relationships take effort and it's okay to put the effort in just because it doesn't work perfectly forever. doesn't mean that it has to end. Um, yeah. And that, and it's a hard lesson to learn that everyone is not your enemy. When so much of your life, you felt like everyone was your enemy and that everyone was out to get you. It is a very, very, very hard thing to switch or to learn to switch or to cope or to make that um, 180 turn, um, so to speak, um, because it's been ingrained on you to be very dependent on the system or your family. And when those all fail you, you feel like you cannot um, value relationships. So it is a very, very hard thing to do, which is why it's very difficult for foster you to have trust and have sustained relationships um, later on. But it is doable. It is possible. It just takes a lot of effort. So which uh, which to bring it full circle yeah. and having sustained relationships is Carly, you were talking about self affirmations, but thinking about the affirmations that come from caring, consistent adults and how yes. much yep. they really help to build you up and set you on a different path. I, I know that really helped me in my life and Carlo hearing your experience with your grandmother she was building you up building you up building you up your entire childhood with affirmations um to to help you be the man that you are today and and so i think you know we've talked about this before in the episodes the power of mentorship is Mm -hmm. in the affirmation of having someone believe in you and tell you that you are worth it you can do this you are loved um yeah, you had a reservoir to tap into when you had some dark moments. Um, and the fact that your grandmother had to make sure that that reservoir was filled up enough that she could do it before she left, I think is a testament to what we're talking about in terms of those affirmations, 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 um, so that when those days do come, you can go back on those days and times that you spent with her physically, times that you could hear her praying when you weren't in the same room with her, uh, those lessons that kind of speak to the back of your mind. Um, and even probably now in some of these things that you deal with where, you know, that reminds me of my grandmother or some type of sign that those things are all real. And those are all a testament to how much she invested uh, in the relationship that she had with you as her grandson. <laughs> now, there were so many nuggets in your last little piece, Carlo, that I was trying to remember what was the other piece that really stood out to me. And it was your story about the person who wanted to commit suicide and the feelings of isolation and loneliness that you feel when you're ripped away from your family for whatever reason and being in foster care with strangers, how that really does um, bring out all of these, these feelings of I am alone. And I just want to remind our listeners that Foster Strong exists because we want you to know that you're not alone and we want to be a resource for you. We want to help answer any questions that you have that we wished we had somebody to ask when we were in your situation going through the system or even for those who have aged out of the system. So I, I think I, I can say this for everyone that we are always here and we want you to reach out and we want to connect with you. and We want you to know most importantly that you're not alone, that you are loved, that you are worth it and that you are not defined by your trauma. 
And I think that's probably a good segue into our, our segment on, um, you know, what really makes our team members foster strong. So Carlo, tell us for you, how you moved from trauma to triumph in a couple sentences. For me, I moved from trauma to triumph uh, when I was able to see the jewel within myself. Um, the reason why I want to help people see the jewel inside of themselves is because I was able to tap into my own. And when I was able to tap into my own, um, it gave me the strength to help tap into others. Uh, and so that's that's literally what I'm doing now. That I feel like that's kind of my life work. Damn, you just brought it full circle like that? Mic drop. <laughs> I know I have chills. Yeah. Oh. All right, so who's closing us out again? You, you, bring us, bring us home, Adrian. Uh, well, Carlo, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Foster Strong. We think it was a extremely powerful episode, and if you're out there listening, um, be sure to check uh, this episode out and more of the episodes on uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcast platforms. Also, be on the lookout for Foster Strong Fridays, which are on Instagram. We have a lot of great ones that have been out, um, and this has been a really fantastic episode. Anything else, ladies and gent? Thank you, Carlo. Yes, thank you so much. It was a great, 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 great story. We're lucky to have you on the team. Yeah. All right, we'll see you in another episode of The Foster Strong.